You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of topics that matter most to business leaders. To help make sense of these topics, we'll sit down with thought leaders and do what we do best at the Conference Board, provide trusted insights for what's ahead. I'm Steve Odlin, the CEO of the Conference Board and the host of this podcast series, and today we're going to discuss a trend that has ramped up in recent years and made a lot of headlines, and that is shareholder activism. It's all about driving change, and shareholders are turned to it when they think that management and boards are not maximizing a company's potential. What is shareholder activism? Why is it so prevalent? Is it good? Is it bad? Joining me today is Paul Washington, the Executive Director of the Conference Board's ESG Center. Paul, welcome. Great to be with you, Steve. All right, Paul. Now, Paul, you, your, your experience, you, of course, have been in boardrooms. You were, uh, uh, you know, the Corporate Secretary at, at Time Warner. And you, you know all about shareholder activism. You've written on it. Uh, you know, you've been studying this for a very long time. What the heck is shareholder activism? So shareholder activism is when a shareholder or group of shareholders seek to bring about significant change at a company. You know, it's been around for over 40 years. We're talking big A activism right now, where the investors are looking to change the strategic direction of the company, to change out the board, to change out the CEO, to block a merger, to you know encourage a merger. Those sorts of major shifts. Um, So that's the sort of traditional big A activism that's been around for a lot of years. Um, you know, it had a bad name at the outset, which was called green mail, where someone would drop into your stock and, you know, and threaten to take over the company, and then the company would buy back the shares from the uh, activist investors. Um, it's gotten a lot more sophisticated than that these days. Well, and, and, and the goals have gotten broader, Exactly right. Too. I mean, I, yeah. I think, it, isn't, you know, when this first started, it seemed like, you know, there were companies that just didn't get it. They were underperforming. They were sleepy. And so, you know, the activists would say, come on, guys, you know, shake it up. It's there's a lot broader range than just simply is the stock price where it needs to be. That's exactly right. And so I'd say that activism, you know, you used to be able to sort of categorize it as sort of big A activism, where it was focused on the stock performance, and small A activism, often smaller shareholders that were seeking a change in your governance, your environmental policies, your social approach. Well, I don't think it's as simple as those two camps anymore. There's really emerging of those two camps when it comes to activism. And so often those ESG issues are wedge issues that activists are using to effectuate bigger change at a company because they're also disappointed in the stock performance. Um, The other thing that's happened in this new era is that there are a lot more companies that are being targeted these days, uh, a lot of smaller companies. 70% of the companies that are targeted by activists are have actually under half a billion dollars in market cap. And then the other thing that's happening is there's a broader array of activists these days, which we can get into. Yeah, it's, it, that's interesting. But is it all, it's obviously all public companies. Yes. Yeah. And is this limited to the U.S.? Or are we starting no, to see No, it's this? a global phenomenon, although it, it fluctuates partly it's um, if the activists who are U.S.-based have an adequate set of targets in the U.S., 
they may not be looking outside to do activism in Europe or Asia. So it depends on how, if, it, if the U.S. is a sufficiently target-rich environment, the activists may focus just on the U.S., but if they don't find the targets in the U.S., they will seek underperforming companies or vulnerable companies around the world. Similarly, there are also homegrown activists in Europe and Asia. So there are activists shareholders elsewhere Absolutely. who go after companies that are listed in those regions. Mm -hmm. do, do we see um, international activism coming at U.S. listed companies? Not, not usually in a lead position. I mean, there are activists who are seeking some changes in board structure and so forth, but generally it's U.S. headquartered activists are really the ones who take the lead in the U.S. Okay, market. Okay, so... What is an activist? I mean, you know, if you're a, obviously if you're on a public company board, you know what it is. But but what is an activist? Is is it's just a shareholder? Yeah, they're generally not individual shareholders, right? They tend to be institutional shareholders. The most prominent kinds of activists out there these days are hedge funds, which are usually limited partnerships, um, private limited partnerships. Although sometimes they're also um, uh, public ones, where wealthy investors get together, they pool their resources, and then the hedge fund is professionally managed, and it goes out to find outsized returns for their investors, often in conjunction with sort of outsized risk. Um, and so, you know, some of the prominent activists are Elliott Management, Third Point Partners, Value Act Capital, and so forth. But uh, th those are sort of the main headline-making activists who are out there these days. But about 70% of the big A activism campaigns, if you will, that were uh, launched in the last few years are actually being launched by part-time activists, sort of mainstream institutional investors who have decided to take an activist-type role in seeking major change at a target company. So, that, so I hear you saying that there's kind of, th these are all institutional shareholders of some flavor. Correct. Some of them are have this as part of their value proposition. It's their business model. That's yeah. their business model. So and and you know I think some of the last numbers I've seen are like there's over a half a trillion dollars invested in uh, activist funds, meaning funds that have the objective of you know doing some activist activity somewhere. Yeah. But there's also just regular people who are invested in yeah. companies and turn into activists or do shareholder proposals or something based on their experience with a company. It's not necessarily their business model. That's exactly right. And, you know, there are different levels. So they, the activists could just say, okay, or the institutional investor could say, okay, we're going to submit a shareholder proposal on separating the chair or CEO, one of those sort of standard proposals. Or they could go farther and say, we're going to have a vote no campaign against your board unless you bring about a certain change. Or they could actually launch a proxy contest and try to challenge the uh, incumbent directors in an election. So what gives these activists power? Uh, you know, is it is it just simply being there or, you know, it, it, are they, you know, are they endowed? I mean, do they get hit by, I mean, it, it, are they knighted by somebody that says, okay, go ahead, go forth as an activist? As far as I know, thus far, there's not an activist certification okay. service, though maybe we at the conference board could do one. And anyway, um, but, you know, you've, what gives them the power is the power of holding shares and all the power that goes with that, which is the power to 
elect directors um, or to submit shareholder proposals and that sort of thing. So the core is their shareholding power. By the way, they don't actually have to buy the shares. They can borrow the shares, which is a cheap way to accumulate a strong voting position in a company. We could get into that. But what gives them additional power is, frankly, the media because they go to public fora and say, look, this company is underperforming. This had a scandal here or something. So they will leverage media attention. And then what they really need to have the power to effectuate change is the threat that other mainstream investors will come along with them. Because these activists often hold, you know, five, maybe six percent of the shares. So they're going to need others to join them. And the combination of media and the appeal to more mainstream in institutional investors is what gives them their power. So from a legal standpoint, just being a shareholder or having an interest in, the, you know, some sort of economic interest in those shares allows them to vote the shares. And, Correct. And therefore to do a proposal. So activism comes forth typically in the form of some sort of letter to the board and proposal that gets included in the proxy. Exactly right, and sometimes it's a letter that's released to the press on the same okay, day. Okay, so so we, and then what you're saying is is that 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 additional publicity that it, and and sometimes you know the name of the organization you know so when the Elliot has mm-hmm. has an experience and and uh, people you know really know that these are are the folks that get things done. So so it's cachet, it's brand name. Um, media, yeah. PR, all of that, which gives you the top spin. And it's also, if they've got a track record of driving up the stock price, then that also gets the other investors' attention. But ultimately, in order to affect the change, there has to be a vote. Yes. Well, well, or not, or a settlement. Or a settlement. <laughs> okay, so talk about that. Yeah, so um, a lot of these campaigns, and increasingly, these campaigns don't go to a the vote where you're choosing to vote for the activist slate of directors over the incumbent slate. Um, most of these wind up being settled in some way by the company, and sometimes that involves putting an activist-supported director on the board. Sometimes it involves... Um, making an explicit change in the company's policy. It could be, you know, increase the dividend, increase the buyback, divest this particular business. So there are lots of ways to reach a settlement that may avoid an out-and-out, you know, uh, vote or proxy battle. Yeah, recently Disney went through this where they yeah. where they had a, a bit of a, a threat of an attack that was then canceled, right? Yes, exactly right. And we see this over and over. And, you know, one of the things that's a takeaway for companies in, in these situations is, Um, recognize that when you're fighting an activist, um, that person may wind up being on your board as part of a settlement, or they could become on your come on your board as part of an election. So the the tone that companies take in these activist situations is really important. You know, you're you're addressing the activists ideas, you're not attacking them personally. So what are the areas that provoke Activism, you know. So, what, do, what? I guess another way to say it is, what are the, some things that companies? What are the top things that companies do wrong that uh, that provoke people to attack them? Well, uh, so there there is stock performance. If you're underperforming your peers for a period of time, that is one thing. If you are pursuing a transaction that's unpopular with your uh, with a substantial portion of your investors, that'll attract activists. But you know what's what's increasingly true is that the, the sort of wedge issues, the sort of honey to bees, if you will, here, are often governance issues 
or environmental or social uh, issues at companies where um, investors can say, well, you've, you know, there was a shareholder proposal on climate policy and it passed, the shareholders approved it, the board did nothing on it. We're now going to use that as a wedge issue to wage a bigger campaign against you, or you don't have a long-term plan for the transition to renewable energy. Those sorts of ESG issues um, are often the wedge issues that um, investors will use to gain traction when they also care, obviously, about stock price. You know, it's interesting. You know, these issues um, ebb and flow as society's focus ebbs and flows on, on various issues. And it, it seems to me, I mean, you may disagree, but, but a lot of this activism happens before, you know, regulation is established or before wide adoption of practices are established. So it tends to be on the leading edge of identifying issues. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's, it, it's true in this space, I'd say, generally, that while we are seeing increased SEC disclosure regulation on climate, cybersecurity, eventually human capital management, um, this is still market-driven. And the activists, you know, they're always seeking alpha. They're always looking for what's new and different. And so you will find activists raising issues or wanting companies to move faster on issues than the companies might otherwise move. I mean, that's that's a big issue. If, if let's say, management and the board recognize they need to move in a direction but they're not doing enough yet, activists will make them move faster. Executive comp? That's also a big one. That's yes. a big one. That's, that's a governance. That's issue. a governance one. And it's it's such it's an area that companies can actually relatively easily avoid making themselves a poster child. I mean, you still need you need to pay your executives and fairly, but if you are underperforming, you know, bait to activists is to increase your executives' compensation sort of in lockstep with peers because they're raising their compensation. Well, that works because they're better performing. You can't do that. And you know, if there's a significant pay for performance disconnect, again, over time, that will attract activists. Yeah, so the whole, the whole deal is you know, shareholders have the economic interest yeah. in the company. They own mm -hmm. the company. And the owners want management you know, to have skin in the game. They want, them, they want to pay for performance and they want to see boards reflect that. They don't want to see management rewarded when the shareholders suffer, essentially. I mean, that's, it, yeah, that's exactly that's a glib right. way to put it. Yeah, and, and there are certain red flags for, for investors, but you've got it exactly right. Okay. We've talked about what shareholder activism is and what drives it. Next, we're going to explore the characteristics of companies that provoke shareholder activism. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. As you and your company monitor the latest wave of shocks that have battered the U.S. economy, the award-winning forecast team at the Conference Board now predicts a U.S. recession by the end of 2022. This recession will further compound the crises that have recently upended expectations, from a deadly pandemic to a war in Ukraine and the highest inflation rate in decades. Yet, unprecedented crises also present unforeseen opportunities if you have a trusted, proven navigator by your side. With that in mind, Conference Board continues its long-standing tradition of providing timely and relevant content on a daily basis to help guide the business community through the economic storm. These trusted insights are being gathered on our website and are available to help your company master the challenges ahead. Chart a course for the future, which will allow your business to emerge stronger on the other side by visiting our free economic hub entitled Navigating the Economic Storm, Your Indispensable Guide Through the Global Recession located at www.conference-board.org slash topics slash recession. 
Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Paul Washington, the leader of our ESG Center at the Conference Board. Okay, so Paul, let's go back to what we were talking about before. You'd mentioned in the first part of our program that often part of a settlement or part of um, a proxy vote is to have an activist join the board, either that person or you know their representative join the board. That has to be in, you know, so there are some issues that, that you know, you can just fix, okay? You know, you, you do X, Y, and Z. So, so this happens, you know, you, you get board member additions uh, when the issues are more complex, right? right? So talk about those kinds of issues, number one. And then secondly, you know, is, is having an activist on a board a good or a bad thing? It's a, it's a tricky thing for sure. So let's talk about the sort of issues. So it, you're right, if it's something like, oh, we want you to increase your dividend or we want you to um, you know, not engage in a certain kind of transaction, that's a little bit of an over and done thing. But if it's, okay, are you moving quickly enough in executing a strategy that's adapting to uh, the digital world? Are you dealing with the disruptors in your industry? So those strategic or operating challenges, um, those are ones where the activist may want to have one or two or more people in the boardroom to see how the board is handling and to help the board handle those ongoing strategic challenges. Um, so what do you do when you've got someone from the activist side in your boardroom. I mean, the biggest inherent challenge is just the dual loyalty issue that can exist with uh, an activist what appointed is, what director. What does that mean, dual loyalty? So you've got, you know, as a member of the board, you have fiduciary duties to the company, to act in the company's best duty interest. Duty of care, duty, duty of, of care, loyalty. Duty of loyalty, undivided duty of loyalty to that company. If you also happen to be serving as an officer of the hedge fund, or if you're just representing them, you know, you may feel that tug if you're this activist director to, you know, focus on representing that investor, that hedge fund as your constituents. It's, it can't, that, that can't happen, right? You have to care about all the shareholders and represent all the shareholders' interests and not just focus on what your, your own, um, the people who supported you want you to do right so, because that, that would be uh, you know the same thing as green mail you know I'm, exactly I'm, right. I'm coming on the board you know I've got a hedge fund that wants to sell within six months so maximize the share price within six months right. you do that guy jumps off the board and then you know yeah and they're they're gone and then that person has actually violated their duty of loyalty while they were on the board because they were really you know working for someone else so but companies do navigate this. Um, a lot depends on the, the people who are joining the board. Do they understand the role of the board? Do they understand their duty to the, to, uh, to the company uh, itself? And, you know, there are, there are plenty of instances where not just legally, but frankly, even culturally, the new directors fit in and are actually welcomed. But it takes a lot of extra effort on the company side and on the activist side to make that work. Yeah, and so the way this thing works is, you know, typically, you know, if there's a fight, it's we versus they, it's the good mm -hmm. guys versus the enemies, and hence your point, which is you got to be careful how you do all that, because at the end of the day, you you could have that. But but I think that the cure for that typically is to put. A, uh, an agreeable representative uh, on the board who is a reasonable person, an experienced director, somebody who knows the industry, 
and who can be constructive and wasn't front and center as part of the the quote-unquote conflict. Right, and you can do it where the activist gets approval over it or what happened when Carl Icahn took a run at Time Warner. Our settlement was we said we would add a couple new directors to the board. We didn't give Icahn authority to veto them, and we added a couple directors, and everyone was happy. Well, and everyone was happy because the change was affected, and mm-hmm. and you know, and 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 the board re- realized that they needed to to do something different, yeah. which is, which is what smart activists are trying to do. There, you know, it some I guess some people want to win, you know, regardless, regardless, but or on whatever. But but at the end of the day, if they they want everybody, if the if all the shareholders win, if the stock price goes up. Yeah, because activists are, you know, it's pretty They are investors first, right? I mean, activism right. is the way that they seek a higher return, but they're still seeking return. Yeah, I probably our listeners could probably, you know, you know, might might listen to us and think that we have a bias against uh, activists, um, and we've been thinking about it from one perspective. But you know, activists can pro- can provide a, a real constructive role. And and as you mentioned a lot of this is happening in smaller companies where the where the management teams and the boards are less sophisticated, have fewer outside advisors and so forth. So so sometimes these are real assets, you know, when they uh, come in. And entirely right. So, you know, activists serve a generally salutary um, role because you know, they help keep people on their toes, right? I mean, that if you know that you don't want to worry about losing your job every day, but if you're a board member or management, you say, wait, there are people out there who are watching what we're doing, who will hold us to account if we're not performing. You know, that's actually a healthy thing in the system because there's accountability that way. But you point out an, an additional value that activists bring is they are often very smart people who have done very careful analysis analyses of your companies, right? And they can say, gosh, have you considered doing A, B, or C? And they can be, you know, bring really good constructive strategic ideas to the table. And that's, that's part of the value. So what are the, char- you know, there's probably a hundred of them, but what are the characteristics of companies that, that do not provoke activism? In other words, you know, so is it just stock price? I mean, everything's No, going it's well. actually not. And let me distinguish a couple of things. The first is no matter how well your company is performing and on any measures, you may well have activists in your stock. You know, the presence of activists in your stock does not mean that there's going to be an activist campaign against you. So you phrased it exactly right. What promotes activism? Not their investment in your company, because you actually may welcome that, right? But what will provoke them to start to take action? And conversely, what what won't? So I would say that it's the companies that not only are performing well in stock, but that actually have a narrative about long-term value creation, that they're doing that as well as delivering on quarterly earnings. The other thing is that those are companies that embrace appropriate practices when it comes to governance, right? And there are certain things where, you know, you want a diverse board. You want a board that brings strategic value. You want a board that is refreshed over time. You know, you, you want to have you know, experienced directors who, who, you know, who understand the industry. Those sorts of boards that have, you know, members who can demonstrably bring value are the ones that are less likely to be targeted. Okay, so then do the inverse. What are the characteristics of companies that do provoke activism? Well, um, you can have some governance practices uh, that 
for example, things like staggered boards, where your board is elect, elected and sort of the directors serve for three years, and you know a third of the board is elected each year, rather than having all your directors elected every year. You know that's just bait for it's activists. It's just out of it's, it's out, out of, of sync with out of step with the pra- with practice, practice, and yeah. it's just that's the sort of thing that can can attract them. It's also board composition, right? If you have a board that um, is pale, male, and stale <laughs> in the eyes of investors, um, you may well get an activist who says, you know, why, is, why isn't there diversity on your board? Why do you have directors who are serving on four different boards plus yours, you know, overboarded directors, those sorts of things? Or why don't you have directors who have any relevant industry experience? It may not be in your industry, but it should perhaps be in an adjacent industry. Have they been there too long? Right. Those are the sorts of things that. Yeah. And those are the kind of governance issues that traditionally have have triggered it. But increasingly are social and uh, environmental issues, too. Certainly environmental issues. um, But again, these are the ones that really gain traction are the ones that are related not just to the investors values, but to the company value. Right. And the value of the company. Well, there's also so but but thinking about, you know, a carbon free world, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, carbon carbon free, carbon neutral 2050, for example, there are companies that are being awakened, mm-hmm. let's say, by outsiders who are not focused on that. And it may be that every other aspect of, of governance and everything else is doing fine, but you, they're saying, hey, look, you know, you're kind of out of step with where we need to go as a society. That, that's exactly right. And, you know, in our recent C-suite Outlook uh, report, um, there were about 20, 21% of U.S. CEOs who didn't think that climate change and the transition to renewable energy would have a significant impact on their company. Well, that may be a blind spot for them. That may expose them to, to activism because even if they're not in a carbon intensive industry, you know, their business partners might be, their consumers might be, there will be regulations coming down the pike. So, you know, if that that 20% of CEOs out there, their companies may be, uh, you know, somewhat vulnerable to activism if they're not aware of that kind of tectonic shift that's going to happen and its impact on your company. Yeah, and this was the allegation against Exxon recently. Right. Right. And, yeah. and uh, you know, that they're not thinking about a post-carbon world, a post-fossil fuel world. So anyway, um, look, I, I think that, uh, I, I, that, you know, we wrote a book here at the conference board called Sustaining Capitalism. And, and as, you know, part of, our, of what we were trying to lay out is that capitalism is one of these organic systems and society's demands on capitalism or demands of capitalism morph and change and grow over time, and that companies need to be responsive to that. It, it, and it's interesting, it, it, you could classify a lot of activism as trying to make sure that companies keep up with all of that. Yeah, because that's all about generating sustainable value. So there are act, there are activists who are really just focused on a short-term return. But you know what? That's increasingly a minority of activists. Most of them, if they're going to be successful in getting other investors to support them, are making a long-term pitch, and you know, long-term value pitch. And often that pitch is based on, you know, you're missing out on risks or you're missing out on opportunities that are going to affect the long-term value of the company. And often those relate to this world of multi-stakeholder capitalism. Okay, so let's pick up that last point. You've written a lot about multi-stakeholder capitalism, meaning that you know no longer are we focused on one constituent, that being the shareholder, but we're we're focused on multiple stakeholders or constituents, customers, employees, owners, community, environment. 
you know, so now you've got a, as a board and a management team, you have to balance all of those stakeholders. And activists are looking for you to do that all. The whole thing, not just pieces, not just, okay, you did really well with your employees this, this quarter, you can do well with your customers next quarter, you can do well with your shareholders. I mean, you have to do this every day across all of these. How, so how do you, how do you run a company and, <laughs> and, and operate on a board and, and do all that? It, it is really hard, and, and the activist campaign, even if the activists have a good argument for what you should be doing differently in the long run, it can have a short-term negative impact on the company, maybe not on its stock price, which may jump because you've got an activist involved. But these can be very distracting episodes. When we went through it at Time Warner, I would say 25 to 30% of senior management's attention was diverted to dealing with the activist For a long campaign. time. Yeah. Yeah. And then that hurts the business. Uh, you know, on, on the flip side, you know, sometimes activists ask for things that are good in the short run, but may not be in the, in the um, in the best interest of long-term shareholders. And this is where you see, and, and you know, the, the so-called permanent capital are the index funds who are in there constantly because they have to be because it's part of their index. And this is what almost half of the, uh, half of the ownership of most of the big companies today. So, so there is this tension now also between, you know, the kinds of shareholders that are active. I mean, it's certainly the index funds want it, you know, want the share price to go up, but, but it has to be sustainable. It can't just be a burp. You, you know, um, right. so so there's this balance too between long and short uh, long and short term shareholders. Right, there is, and the one of the things that that's happening though is for those short term. Let's say the activists, they will need the support of those long term uh, holders, those uh, passive investors, in order to effectuate change. So that's why activists, even if they may have some degree of short term motivation have to actually couch it in long-term value creation terms. Because otherwise, if the company says, well, and this has happened with companies I've worked at, right? Sorry, we have our long-term shareholders on our side. We appreciate hearing from you activists, but that just doesn't fly. So, you know, that's that's why activists are having to pay more attention to the long-term maybe than they have in the past. And, you know, management teams and boards have to think about the long-term because, they, you know, they, they can't be thinking about maximizing something in any individual quarter. But it does make it harder. I mean, this is, it, it's, it's a big challenge. I would say activism, which is definitely on the uptake these days, um, especially with you know weaker stock markets, activist investors see a lot of targets out there. There are more people playing in the activist field. And the other thing that is different these days is you used to be able to say, oh, this ex-activist has a playbook that they follow. They're all borrowing from each other these days. So it is a much more challenging environment for corporate directors and executives to operate in, but it's it's the world we're operating in. And so that means keeping an eye on long-term value creation while understanding and staying in touch with all of your investors so that you'll be able to respond when an activist shows up. Paul Washington, thanks for being with us. My pleasure, Steve. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Every week, I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover leading topics in geopolitics, economics, public policy, ESG, and more. Please share CEO Perspectives with your colleagues, your friends, your family, your neighbors. I know they're going to want to listen. I'm Steve Odlin, and this podcast has been brought to you by the Conference Board. 
You've been listening to a podcast from the Conference Board, the indispensable ally that has helped businesses through war, recession, and economic transformation for over 100 years. As recent unexpected economic challenges persist, you can chart a course for the future, which will allow your business to emerge stronger on the other side. Just visit our free economic hub entitled Navigating the Economic Storm, your indispensable guide through the global recession, located at www.conference-board.org slash topics slash recession.